Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Michael Leader. I'm Adam Woodward. And I'm Rogan Graham. And coming up on the show today, LeBron goes loony in Space Jam, A New Legacy. Questlove unearths the Black Woodstock in Summer of Soul. And in Film Club, it's Gina Prince Bythewood's tale of courtside courting, love and basketball. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, welcome back, listeners, and welcome back, Adam. You've been away for the last couple of weeks. Have you been busy? <laughs> oh, that feels like a very loaded question, knowing that you know exactly what I've been up to. Yeah, no, I've had I've had a bit of time off. Um, got hitched, which was oh. very lovely, um, and had a nice nice kind of week off post wedding to just kind of re- recalibrate and uh, recharge the batteries a little bit. So yeah, back now. Haven't really been uh, been able to catch up with it with too many movies and uh, um, yeah, getting a big dose of can FOMO with our colleague Hannah Strong being out there at the moment reporting on what seems to be a pretty vintage uh, lineup this year. Um, but yeah, really excited to be back on. Yeah, exactly. Our, our colleagues out there are watching the new Wes Anderson film, The French Dispatch, the new Julie Ducournau film, Titan, and we get to watch Space Jam, A New Legacy. Uh, I'm not sure that's quite a fair trade-off, but it's the stuff we do for this podcast. Um, Rogan, welcome back as well. It's been a while since you've been on the show, and now we've revamped. We're asking all our regular guests to sort of reintroduce themselves to the listeners. So, Rogan, who are you? What do you do? Thank you for having me back, and congratulations, Adam. Um I, yeah, it was a lifetime ago when I was on here, a whole different world. Um, I'm a film writer and programmer based in London. And um, yeah, I think that that covers me. (laughs) Short and sweet. I think anyone who listened to the episode with Lou Thomas the other week, he he sort of went large on his introduction to himself. (laughs) Uh, So we, we like it. We like it short and sweet as well. But we should kick off because we've got a massive week of films, a lot of basketball related films this week as well. We're going to kick off or what what's the basketball equivalent of kicking off? Is there a similar metaphor there I could use? I should have looked this up. Anyway, we'll kick off with Space Jam, A New Legacy. Here's a bit of plot synopsis for Space Jam, A New Legacy. Welcome to the jam. NBA champion and global icon LeBron James goes on an epic adventure alongside timeless Looney Tune Bugs Bunny. 
When LeBron and his young son Dom are trapped in a digital space by a rogue AI, LeBron must get them home safe by leading Bugs, Lola Bunny, and the whole gang of notoriously undisciplined Looney Tunes to victory over the AI's digitised champions on the court, a powered-up roster of professional basketball stars as you've never seen them before. It's Tunes versus Goons in the highest-stakes challenge of his life that will redefine LeBron's bond with his son and shine a light on the power of being yourself. So, 25 years on from the last Space Jam, we're back again with a basketball player teaming up with the Looney Tunes characters. Adam, why why does this film exist, do you think? Well, I think um, it exists because it's um, really a long belated sequel, I think. I mean, if you go back and, and look at the history off the back of the first Space Jam, which... I think was like fairly successful at the time, obviously having mm. Michael Jordan in his pomp, being a, a genuinely global superstar. And at a time when the Looney Tunes were still very much in vogue, um, or, or certainly as much as they have been in our lifetimes, I would say. Um, there were there were plans for sequels that were shelved multiple times. I think at one stage they were going to do like a Tony Hawk um, skate jam <laughs> sort of sequel. Um, so it's been a long time coming. I think the actual reasons for doing this film um that's maybe a different question to, to kind of why mm. it exists um which we get onto quite quickly i mean we, we should say that this although it is space jam by name and it kind of does hew quite closely to the the plot of the um the first film which you know let's be honest itself was was a fairly kind of cynical marketing exercise i think this one takes that to such a extreme degree um and we're, we're introduced to LeBron in the first scene uh, as as a child basically he 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 gets handed like an old old school like Game Boy um, and it, and it sets itself out as a story of a, a kid who kind of lost sight of something that he really loved and then found this new love with basketball and 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 I guess it's this idea of like reconnecting with with your past and and your childhood or that inner child um, but it's really weird because it presents what is essentially like a retconned biography of LeBron. I mean, he he's introduced along with his family, all of whom are played by actors, um, and, and I don't think really bear much resemblance to his real-life family. Um, so, you know, we, we're kind of introduced to this family unit, um, the, the, the wife and mother and two children, two young boys who are kind of, one's basketball-obsessed, one is, is sort of into gaming he's developing his own video game which there becomes the kind of um, main catalyst for the plot um, and then suddenly we're whizzed off to Burbank California and enter something called the serververse which is like guys the Warnerverse was right there <laughs> I mean I, I don't know this film I was checking the credits has like six screenwriter credits and the serververse was the best thing they could come up with which is just pretty staggering to me but the serververse is basically like the mainframe um within kind of warner bros very dystopian vault of like hard drives servers and within that we're, we're kind of introduced to um don cheadle who's playing essentially like a, a sentient um anthropomorphized ai um called al g rhythm oh yeah and 
for some reason he's really evil he's basically like that he reminded me at first of um celery man from the the, the Tim and Eric sketch with Paul Rudd. He's ba- and, and even down to the fact he's wearing like a kind of sparkling silver suit. So picture in your minds, if you will, a very um, s- sort of not re- not really sure why, but a very maniacal kind of celery man. And uh, yeah, he, he, he basically decides he wants to en- entrap uh, or enslave kind of LeBron and his family and everyone into the Warner Brothers server. Um, it's a very, very strange film, we should mm. say. I mean, the thing that I can't quite get my head around, and, and one of you can maybe put me straight on this, but like, so LeBron is the hero, and, and along with Bugs Bunny, they're like the, the familiar characters that we know and love. But Warner Brothers, in a film which is really, really hard-selling Warner Brothers stock and IP, Warner Brothers itself is essentially the villain of this story. And I don't understand why they've done that. I, I'm not really sure. Uh, I mean, do they, do they kind of understand or realise that that's, that's kind of what the Don Cheadle character is? He's like this embodiment of like an evil um, corporate machine, basically, which which is a proxy for Warner Brothers. Um, I, I think it, it's, it's hard because, as you said, Adam, it has so many screenwriters and story credits behind the film. It's so hard to really uh, divine any intention behind the storytelling here because yes you do, literally algae rhythm is 30 floors below the iconic wb water tower um that we've seen in you know countless films and tv shows over the years um however it's almost seen as if this is a rebuke to algorithmic thinking in film production which might be a swipe at something like netflix maybe but it certainly does doesn't resolve in a way that um, makes any sort of coherent point about the you know, commissioning by algorithm versus commissioning by inspiration. And the thing that hits me strongest about this film is the way that it is an IP exercise, as you said, Adam. But very quickly you realise that unlike Disney, who are evil, but one thing they have done incredibly well is you know the five things they own, the five universes they own, Pixar, Disney, they now own Simpsons, Marvel, etc. You know them very clearly. Warner Brothers have no sense of what they own and what that means. So once you go into... I think this is what was so funny to me, is like, so you get into the basketball game, which the whole film essentially revolves around, and I think you get into it like fairly quickly, about an hour in, and then you look at your watch and you realise there's, st- there's still another hour to go. I mean, the, the basketball scene is like almost as long as an actual basketball game. Um, and the, the the kind of crowd, as it were, that the, the watching this game or forced to watch this game are all Warner Brothers IP stock and characters. And it's like, okay... Oh, I forgot Warner Brothers had like the Iron Giant, and I forgot Warner Brothers had you know whoever. Very quickly, like you say with with Disney, you've got those like tent poles, and you know like their main franchises. And it was very striking to me that very quickly you get past like your Harry Potters and um, Batman's and Supermans, and then you're into like oh, is that is that a nun from like Ken Russell's The Devils? And I mean, there's there's like references to kind of Nick Rogue. Nick Rogue's film performance and it's just baffling and, and some of these characters all of which we we should say they're not it's not like they've um got a kind of digital version of of I don't know say like Ben Affleck as Batman or 
um, or, or even like Christopher Reeve's Superman. It's just like random <laughs> um, people in like cosplay, basically. And and it looks quite bad. Like when you actually look at the, the kind of makeup on like the Game of Thrones characters and stuff and, and, you know, henchmen from various Batman and Superman films, it's like, oh, this is this is pretty cheap. Um, and it's baffling to me that they're not really used in any way or utilised in any way. They're, they're literally just there. They're just kind of background sort of mm. dressing for this for this set. Um, I don't really understand why they mirrored the plot of the first film by basically having five NBA superstars supercharged being the kind of baddie opposition team in this. I don't know why they didn't use the IP, use the characters that they've got to form that team. Like you could have a team with, you know, the Iron Giant and King Kong and like Wilma Flintstone or whoever, and like make that the baddie team where they've, you know, algorithm as as LG rhythm has like taken them over and forced them to play this game. It's like they're right there. <laughs> Like I want to see King Kong done. It, it definitely speaks to something of the you know you have you have to be bold in these films um, or these crossover events. It made me think of Kingdom Hearts, which is the video game that mashes up Final Fantasy characters and Disney characters, and you need to go full tilt on this. But there's something quite cowardly there. Rogan, what, what did you make of Space Jam? Are, are we singing from the same hymn sheet here, or were you a secret fan? Yeah, I think we're all pretty much on the same page on this one. Um, I never saw the first one. Um, I think I was just a really girly girl and I think it just missed me and then I never, you know, thought to catch up with it and I, I did kind of go into this thinking, oh, you know, this is a nostalgia exercise so I'm definitely going to miss some sentimentality or something but there's just none, there's just nothing to be attached to. It's like, it feels like, um, you know, like LeBron is just like, myth making himself he's just sort of building up the mythology around him it's like the amount of times um but lebron you're the greatest athlete in the entire world (laughs) is repeated but you're also a family man (laughs) Um, it's just like a constant refrain throughout the film and again having not seen the first one i don't know if that's a departure from what michael jordan was trying to do like he was the sort of the lone hero but lebron is like no but i can do it and I love my family, I have no idea. Um, but it was just, it was just so cynical. And I said to Michael earlier that it reminded me almost, I mean, Josie and the Pussycats, far better made, but just that kind of like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, we know how evil this is, you know, ha, ha, ha. You know, uh, Josie and the Pussycats, of course, being well aware of what it's doing. But in terms of like Don Cheadle representing Warner Brothers and also being the villain, like I, I do think there's some kind of self-awareness in that. And the amount of times he says, I can see and hear everything you're doing through your printer, through your phone, through your car, through your iPad, <laughs> through your laptop. I know everything about you and there's nothing, you know, you can do about it. Sort of that kind of all-knowing evil that everyone just sort of, has to nod along and like laugh at and and then it's like oh no but that's that's not a bit that's um <laughs> that's that's very true well that's the thing he says that to like lebron's one of lebron's kids and the kid is like oh cool yeah <laughs> yeah it just feels um it did feel 
it was quite terrifying. <laughs> I think I came out and I was like, oh my God, they know what they're doing and they're making us laugh at it. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, and in terms of like, I mean, they were just like flexing, weren't they? Like all they own, it was like there's Rick and Morty and then yeah, Matrix mm -hmm. and Game of Thrones people and um, like who else there was. I think it's very funny that they made a big fuss about cutting out like Pepe Le Pew, for example. Um, because, you know, that character, I think we can all admit, is maybe not aged well. But then there's, like, the Droogs from A Clockwork Orange kind of front and centre for a lot of it. Like, they're, like, courtside, and it's like, oh, well, hmm, I wonder if anyone at Warner Brothers who involved in this film has ever watched that film. Well, you say that, Adam, but also um, this is maybe getting to spoiler territory, so listeners who care about that maybe zone out for a second, but it has a very Muppets... The, the 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 reboot getting of the, the gang back style, together um, structure getting the band back get band back together you say Adam and they're all scattered throughout the serververse and all the films they're in are pretty adult films so yeah we, there's a clip they released where it has um, uh, Granny and um, Speedy Gonzalez in the Matrix but the one that really struck me Adam on that level of um, being inappropriate for a family movie is that Wiley Coyote is a war boy in Mad Max Fury Road chroming up his face. <laughs> oh yeah, and, but even like there's references throughout this. I mean, there's extended references to things like um, the Star Trek, Star Trek original series and like the Adam West Batman series. And I think at one point Bugs Bunny does like an MC Hammer thing, and it's like <laughs> no one, no wonder, no one. I mean, these these references were kind of passe or like old hat when. The first Space Jam came out, and I think, you know, the Looney Tunes, there hasn't been a Looney Tunes feature film since, I think, 2003, and you can kind of see why. I think, you know, that the, those characters, certain certain characters like Bugs and a few others, definitely do hold a bit of nostalgia value for me, but I think they are very much a product of their time, and just there's not really a lot you can do with them. Like, some of the early actual kind of more hand-drawn feeling cartoon work in this is, is kind of fun and you but it's basically like a, a, a rapid fire like Looney Tunes um greatest hits package but beyond that they just really have no they just have no purpose being in this film so let's put some scores on Space Jam a new legacy um Rogan I'll come to you first so this is in anticipation enjoyment and in retrospect um, I'd say anticipation three, like anything I'm not, you know, particularly excited about, you know, there's still potential there, I guess. And I thought it would, I, I thought LeBron was pretty decent in Trainwreck, you know, and I thought, oh, he's just playing himself again. Um, but no, he was like worse. And they referenced that. They say, you know, athletes and actors, athletes should never try acting or something. And it's like, yeah. Um, so enjoyment, I would say probably a two. There are a couple of moments I did laugh at, but I think that was more related to, yeah, like moments with the, the Looney Tunes. And then, yeah, in retrospect, I guess, like a one. Like it was just so quite depressing, really, in retrospect. Yeah. Adam? I'd say probably two anticipation. I mean... You know, I was I was of the right kind of age to watch the first Space Jam, but it's certainly not a film I cherish. So, wasn't particularly interested in this. I think enjoyment, the 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 kind of few fleeting moments of 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 fun and genuine entertainment which Rogan referenced there, I think are just massively outshadowed by all the horrible corporate bullshit 
so maybe a one and in retrospect like this this film is actually i think quite evil and the server verse is just an <laughs> abomination so i think if, if i'm permitted to give it a zero i will give it a zero in retrospect yeah this is a two one one for me i would love to read an oral history of this production someday because of the various filmmakers and writers that have gone through the doors we know that ryan coogler uh, and his company came on board and did a pass on the script. Ryan Coogler doesn't have a script credit in this, although some of his associates do. And particularly he's, Terrence he's Nance. He's exec producer, I think. Yeah, uh, well, uh, Terrence Nance, who was, you know, as of the first couple of weeks of the shoot, directing this movie, has a fascinating filmography to date. Uh, an oversimplification of her beauty, uh, kind of independent film from a few years ago, Random Acts of Flyness on telly. Um, what his take on this would have been would have been quite interesting, but they clearly didn't see eye to eye creatively. There's one bit that I will point out was quite interesting visually and creatively where when the Looney Tunes are being forced to play basketball, they're forced to change from their 2D forms into a 3D CG, and it's almost portrayed in a sinister way, which gave me flashbacks to a better film and the best version of this film, which is Who Framed Roger Rabbit, when you're introduced Mm -hmm. to the turpentine dip that the the cartoon characters are being put into, the actual sort of sinister danger that can happen to cartoons. But no, that's... um, a, a brief moment in a film of very little <laughs> little to take from. But listeners, that is Space Jam, A New Legacy. Up next, we have a crossover with much more uh, exciting talent coming your way in Summer of Soul. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. For six weeks in the summer of 1969, just 100 miles south of Woodstock, the Harlem Cultural Festival was filmed in Mount Morris Park. It was an epic event that celebrated black history, culture and fashion. After that summer, though, the footage was never seen and largely forgotten. Until now, that is. So, Rogan, this this film comes, you know, quite a bit of hype behind it. You know, big premiere at Sundance Awards won there as well. Is this a film to be excited about? Absolutely. I think the hype is well-deserved for this one. 
Um, I laughed, I cried, I felt frustrated and angry that it took 50 odd years um, to, to hear about it. You know, like growing up in the UK, I'm sure, you know, there were whispers back in Harlem, but it was just um, really incredible moving documentary that I think like blends historical context well as well as making it you know a um, music film a concert film and is able to really pack that kind of political punch without ever taking you out of um the joy or, or the rhythm of the performances yeah yeah it, it's it's really quite stunning isn't it we're in the moment in the moment where we have a lot of music documentaries either coming up or recently premiering the velvet underground premiered in Cannes. we've got the sparks brothers at the end of the month all very different sorts of music documentaries and for summer of soul i, I can't think of a better music film that gets across the actual power of mu- music in terms of its social cultural power political power everything inspirational power um, the way that Questlove, a very thoughtful musician and musicologist, now making his first movie, gets that across. Looking at Stevie Wonder and where he was in 1969, Nina Simone, Sly and the Family Stone, and then putting them in context of, as you say, the history and the cultural background. Really brilliant. Um, Adam, what did you make of this? Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of, on, of akin with something like um, uh, Amazing Grace, the... Aretha Franklin film which came out a few years ago now which was similar kind of story I think where this this event had been filmed although that was for like a live album recording um, and the footage had basically laid dormant I know that was more of like a rights issue I think initially but um, this is just I'd say quite kind of transformative and transcendent it is it is really beautifully captures a moment in time as you said Rogan and just um you know, lays the foundation, lays the context of like what was going on in America and especially in black America at that time. You know, you've got it's 1969 and you've, you know, it's, it's not, not far out from, you know, the assassinations of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. And also interestingly, I think it really does a good job of pinpointing some of the kind of other cultural changes that are happening at the time, like in the crowd, it very much... As, as much as it's a, a celebration of these artists and these these musicians, I think it's really fascinating seeing all these all these shots of the crowd and the different types of dress and there's lots of people who are you know wear, uh, wearing afros and and wearing like African traditional dress and kind of really um, I guess like recapturing that that sense of like African identity at that time in New York um, and you can you can very much kind of see a through line from that you know to, to today. Um, with with various forms of kind of protest and things going on in in America, um, and yeah, it's just I mean, just on a purely like on, on the level of the music, it's just the fact that these performances have been captured, even even just for kind of posterity. I guess there is a story, and it does touch on this slightly. It does allude to the fact that at the same time in the same summer upstate you had Woodstock happening and that was like a a, a huge cultural event which was widely kind of televised and and has become this kind of legendary landmark kind of cultural event and there is a question of like well why did the same thing not happen here and why was the footage not picked up by a broadcaster and it you know there is definitely a story to be told there Um, 
I think the one person it would have been interesting to hear from in, in all this, and, and there's obviously obviously a reason why why we don't, but is um is Tony Lawrence, who's the kind of mastermind behind the whole thing, and I think founded the the Harlem Cultural Festival a few years prior. And I mean this this by all accounts I think was like the biggest event that they did. But he he is just an amazing character. I mean I would watch a biopic um, of him in a heartbeat. I think he's just fascinating character um someone who's who's seemingly quite kind of well connected and a bit of a wheeler dealer but just also super passionate um you know he he somehow manages to get this whole thing set up organized paid for i mean the main sponsor who i I'd, I'd love again love to know the story of how this came about but the main sponsor for the festival is like maxwell house and there's shots where you just see like random jars of coffee you know, like on the stage and, you know, placed in the crowd for the cameras. And so he, he, he was quite a shrewd, seemingly quite a shrewd guy, shrewd businessman. So yeah, there is obviously like a really, almost like another fascinating untold story of, you know, why this, why this festival almost became this like long forgotten or or almost lost um, event. Yeah. I think um, part of my, not frustration with the film, but frustration that it, it took so long to get made. I mean, obviously everything happens for a reason and it is an incredible film now. Um, I just, I, I kept on thinking, you see it in the fashion, like sort of as you touched on, um, but all these different generations of black people and black people across the diaspora, Afro-Latina people, like people from Africa, um, black Americans, and everyone's kind of at this crossroads, right? But then you get this moment in the summer where everyone is united and you kind of think, you know, there are discussions now where it's like, oh, could that happen? Could that kind of unity happen? And it's like, well, it already did. And when you sort of have histories like that buried, it's, you just kind of end up inventing the wheel over and over again. And it's like, well, if you, if we don't have records of this history, like in the accessible and you know treated as important as they actually are you can't actually move forward and that goes for anything and i think i had a little chuckle to myself when they're they're talking about the space race or you know man on the moon which and and you see interviews with people going like you know people are starving down here like there's no and then of course you know we have richard branson and elon musk and whatever they're up to and it's in the middle you know the end who knows what's going on with this pandemic but and it's exact same thing you know and that it was just yeah seeing all the kind of context laid out it was that kind of frustration of how we've moved forward but then also so beautiful seeing the unity and yeah even just how they broke down the the summer into genres of music so that there was gospel so you had sort of a more conservative church going crowd and then yeah Sly and the Family Stone and you have all the young people you know men with their bare chests and their vests and uh, afros and just all this kind of stuff and then of course Nina Simone um and I think she doesn't say it's her first performance of Young Gifted and Black but she says she just ran it um so that was really special to see for yeah really incredible yeah, it's, it's several performances in this film are just incredible. I love that it starts with Stevie Wonder doing a drum solo, um, which is a, a great bravura performance to kick things off and then ending um, as it does. But then it's, it's also a wonderful 
recontextualization of some bands that maybe have fallen by the wayside in terms of popular culture cultural you know conscience and uh, consciousness over the years like fifth dimension have a really great performance and interviews with them about how they landed almost in between black and white music at the time Uh, really um, fascinating stuff and seeing sly and the family stone just like on the cusp of where where sly stone was going was was amazing so let's put some scores on this um rogan i'll come to you first again for the three scores for this yeah i mean i've been waiting for it for a few months now so at five highly anticipated um may honestly mainly because of nina simone i didn't know much about the historical context but i i adore her so i was like oh great more footage um and then yeah five during i think i think it's a masterpiece i just felt so overwhelmed and joyous and peaceful and motivated watching it and yeah in retrospect i'm going to be shouting about it from the rooftops for you know the foreseeable so yeah (laughs) Adam. Yeah, I think I'd I'd match those scores. I think anticipation, I mean, outside of something like jazz on a summer's day, there just really isn't that much like this that exists. So it's just amazing to to know that this this happened and and we can actually now experience it kind of secondhand. Um, And it still feels so, so kind of fresh. And and so, yeah, the performances, I think, are just amazing. Um, So definitely five for enjoyment. And actually, in retrospect, five not only because it's a film i can't wait to watch again i think if you do happen to live near a cinema that is showing it i'd definitely recommend seeing on the big screen um with 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 a bit of an audience um and also it's i mean we talked about nina simone and and a few others but like you know the the massive potential for for discovery for some artists who who's who's maybe stock has fallen a little bit or who aren't necessarily held up as being you know those kind of generational um, influences i mean like fifth dimension is a great example like i, I was straight on, on on sort of discogs looking up some of their their back catalogue after this and um yeah i think i think the potential for kind of discovery and rediscovery and and uh and and yeah just quite quest love i think absolutely i mean be, be fascinating to see whether this was just a kind of one-off passion project or, or what he does after this but he he shows some kind of serious chops here in, in understanding the material and, and and really making the most of it so yeah, yeah five, five in retrospect yeah I'd say um, maybe four four five for me and the big take is I think this is a better film than the Woodstock movie that won the Oscar um, I find the Woodstock movie absolute slog and most of the performances aren't very good <laughs> whereas this one is so full of life and insight and the way it captures a, uh, a community a scene a culture as well as all various types of music and stars at various points in their careers it's just yeah a, a, a small miracle in the in the field of music documentary so the listeners that is summer of soul a strong recommendation from the three of us see it on the big screen if you can this week up next we're going to film club and we're talking love and basketball So Love and Basketball has recently been added to the Criterion Collection. Here's a short blurb from them. Sparks fly both on and off the court in this feature debut by writer-director Gina Prince-Bythewood. A coming-of-age romance that looks at the challenges female athletes face in a world that doesn't see them as equal. Sonal Lathan and Omar Epps are basketball-obsessed next-door neighbours who find love over flirtatious pickup games, fall apart under the strain of high-pressure college hoops and families, and drift in and out of each other's lives as they pursue their twin aspirations of playing professionally. So, Rogan, this has been added to the Criterion Collection, which 
many people see as a real marker of curatorial quality. Um, do you think this is deserved? Is this a, a big deal? Yeah, I mean, I, I I like the film. I hadn't seen it. It was one of those that was on my list for years and years, so it was a great excuse to watch it. In terms of Criterion, I think it's an interesting choice for the second film to ever be entered into the collection, directed by a black woman. Um, I am... Um, I think it, I think it's a great film. I think it's really solid and kind of reminiscent of films that aren't really made anymore. Just sort of you know a mid-range budget, you know, just a romantic drama, you know, that's enjoyable sort of Friday night watch. But I'm not too sure. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not. I would like to know their sort of thinking behind it. I don't think it's undeserving. I, you know, I certainly don't love everything in the Criterion Collection. Mm-hmm. Um, a recent one being wildlife. I don't understand how that made it. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not too sure about deserving. But I did think. I do think it's a good film. Yeah. It's a. It's. it's I. I love that you say that it's a, like a film that they don't, don't make anymore because I didn't know what I expected to watch this. I read about it because Gina Prince, by the is kind of held up as one of those filmmakers who should have had a career with you know a film every two years and rising prominence you know this is a, a, a very strong debut she makes the secret life of bees a, a couple of years later uh, beyond the lights which doesn't even didn't even get a uk release i don't think um apart from some one-off screenings and has finally broken through i guess making the old guard on netflix but but you know it's been a long you know, ride to get there um but going and watching this film it really is it's not what you expect you know it's not necessarily a coming of age movie it's not necessarily a rom-com or romantic drama it's not really a sports movie it's all those things but handled quite sensitively and intelligently and as you say rogan films that don't get made mid-budget films that don't get made anymore this film starts with a crane shot was was the last time you saw a crane shot in a movie (laughs) not not a drone not not bodged in the edit in in, with vfx but just a good old-fashioned crane shot adam what do you think of love and basketball yeah, just going back to the criteria, criterion thing. Is it what's the first film by a black female? Director? Pariah, right? That's it. That's it. That's interesting. I, yeah, I, I guess maybe that Pariah has has a slightly more artistic merit than this. Although, I think I think it's it's in a kind of like you know, it's in the same kind of spirit and 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 tradition and mode of something like. Spike Lee when he's at his more kind of romantic end which is you know he he produced this and I think there's there's kind of some comparisons potentially you can make there um but it's just a really I think it's just a really really beautifully composed really um well acted well crafted film there's there's a real gentleness to it um you know the stakes I think in the characters lives are all quite high but it kind of eschews these these more like melodramatic moments and often you get these just very tender they feel like very authentic kind of everyday interactions between the characters and um, actually to pick up on something Rogan was kind of saying earlier um, in relation to Summer of Soul, it does feel like there's, there's, you know, parallels to things that are kind of going on today or certainly like how we look at the world. You know, this is obviously like 20 years old, just, just over. Um, but a lot of the things it's talking about and a lot of the issues it's dealing with are, are very much present today. Right. And, and I think it, it's a film I think that will only um, it's, I think its reputation will only be enhanced with time it's, it's not one of those films that you're like oh that feels like a, a bit of a relic from the early noughties as much as it's a sort of film that you don't get made as much these days I think in terms of like how it's made and 
what it's actually trying to say it, it there's a certain like timelessness to it which is just always going to hold up so maybe that's why the criterion picked it up it, it does feel like maybe not a landmark film but certainly one that will i think endure for the right reasons yeah absolutely and i think looking at the cast the cast is incredible i um i don't like if i don't know anything about a film and i just know that people like it i don't research i don't like looking anything up i don't even watch trailers really um so as soon as alfred woodard popped up i was like ah brilliant oh she's in it and then you you know then you see gabrielle union and you see regina hall um and i was just like oh wow this is great like these are you know you're looking at these women's careers now um Mm. and also kind of just looking at their careers now and knowing that they would still sort of jump on a project like this in a heartbeat because i think they are really um solid actors and uh pick pretty good projects but that was one thing i loved just seeing that kind of cast that felt really all-star to me but 20 years ago may not have felt like the case in the mainstream anyway um and black audiences definitely would have would have felt that but um yeah and they're they're so good um i particularly point to alfred woodard and um dennis haysbert so dennis haysbert plays um quincy's father quincy being the, the the bloke in the relationship and um so there's this father figure who is a professional basketball player who almost goes back to Space Jam in, in terms of the father-son relationships with professional basketball players. But um, he plays that character so well who's got such a front uh, that falls away throughout the film when it's revealed that he's had affairs outside of the um outside of his marriage and also that therefore the whole foundations on which his um, the dreams that he's invested in, his son, you know, becoming a well-educated, but also, you know, um, you know, back backed up by by a college education, whilst also being a professional basketball player, all that falls away. Um, and he's so he's so good. And Alfred Woodard as well. She only has a couple of key scenes, but there's one scene towards the end which is just absolutely dynamite. She plays the uh, Monica's mum, so the, the the girl in the relationship, and they've moved from Atlanta, and she is you know very much a homemaker who has her own sort of front as being keeping the home together. Uh, but we see a little bit behind the curtain in one scene and the way that Alfred Woodard um, modulates that performance between the, fr- the front that character is giving, but also the reality behind is, you know, amazing to see. And uh, yeah, that's the technicality she brings to films all the way up to Clemency from last year. And she's an amazing actress that hasn't had her due, I don't think, in um, the mainstream chat. Yeah, she does a lot with like, not that much screen time in this, I think. And I'd, I'd recommend watching this film just for those two performances alone. I, I would recommend maybe covering your ears during during the first sex scene where there's a slightly cringy cover of This Woman's Work by Kate Bush um, that was, again, a, <laughs> maybe a bit of its time. It's great to watch a film where um, characters are actually having... are actually, like, hot for each other. <laughs> I think the soundtrack mm. is otherwise excellent in this, though. I mean, we've we've got two out of three um, films this week that just have like absolutely banging soundtracks so you, can, you can't really go wrong on that level yeah it opens with our green doesn't it um mm. love and happiness um but yeah no i think yeah all round it's just such a, a solid enjoyable watch and yeah does it does feel timeless and also reminiscent of things that we don't really get and it was just nice to kind of watch someone's life unfold. I think the end was a bit 
the end did make me cringe. <laughs> but I get it because it's basketball. I think all sports-related films are allowed to have one cringe moment. You know, it feels a bit inevitable. Um, but other, I mean, other than that, yeah, I think I think it's brilliant. I I recommend it. Rogan, could could you be specific about what what part of the ending made you cringe? Yeah, so they're they're together and then they sort of break up. Uh, during their like young adult years and then I guess they're like mid late 20s at this point and they're both back in their family homes um, Omar Epps character um, is preparing for his, his wedding to, to Tyra Banks um, who pops up <laughs> and Sanaa Lathan's character you know knocks on his, his bedroom window like she used to do you know when they were teenagers and says you know I'll play you for your heart, basically, um, and I think they do best of three or something. And I, I know just it was so painful watching him play for his life um, against her, uh, so that he he didn't have to end his engagement. Um, but then I mean, then it all ends up happy, and, and you see she's back playing professional basketball, and he's courtside with their kids, however long in the future that is. But um, that that sequence was. Yeah, very, very cringe. But overall, again, it's forgivable considering the rest, you know, the other one hour and 40 minutes or whatever is a great, great watch. Yeah, I think I think it's forgivable for me because that's a scene where uh, Gina Prince-Bythe would really just try to marry the two, the love and the basketball into one scene. It's a very sort of conflicted, sexually charged, one-on-one basketball game in slow-mo with quite romantic music over the top at, at points. Um, qu- quite an ambitious scene, really. But whether... I think I think it kind of earns that, though. I mean, if we're talking about... And I'm sorry to keep dunking on uh, Space Jam, but if, we, if we're talking about cheesy, you know, one-on-one family scenes, like, I'd, I'd take this over what they try and do in Space Jam New Legacy any day. 100%. So, listeners, that's your lot for this week. Space Jam A New Legacy, Summer of Soul and Love and Basketball. Let us know what you think about any of those films, if you watched them or have watched them already, at the usual channels, at LWLies on Twitter, truthandmovies at tcolondon.com via email. Rogan, Adam, thank you so much for joining me this week and suffering through Space Jam A New Legacy, but it's been so fun talking through all these films with you. Next week... M. Night Shyamalan returns with Old and in Film Club we have a classic from the late 1970s Claudia Viles' Girlfriends Subscribe wherever you pod and if your podcast player of choice lets you leave reviews we'd love it if you leave one for us there too. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.